Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. The word Pentecost means 50th and it refers to a Jewish feast held 50 days after the second day of Passover. It's also called the Feast of Weeks in Exodus 34 and 22 and the Feast of Harvest in Exodus 23:16. Pentecost was a day of thanksgiving to mark the end of the grain harvest. It was a holy Sabbath day unto the Lord. Jewish men were required by law to go to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate the major feasts. Passover in the spring, Pentecost seven weeks and a day later, and the tabernacle uh, and tabern- feast of tabernacles at the end of the harvest in the fall. Two loaves of bread made from new wheat and a new year and two two yearling lambs were offered to the Lord as a thanksgiving offering. This was a way to praise God for His grace uh, in giving them a good harvest. And, and what I want to talk about tonight is why this matters, why an Old Testament feast. Uh, matters to us as New Testament disciples of Jesus. So Acts 1, page 830 in your pew Bible, verse 1 through 5, says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them, over a period of 40 days, and speaking of things regarding the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You have heard of me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this first part of Acts 1, it deals with Jesus giving his final instructions to the apostles. Now one thing I want to point out, and always want to point out when we look at this, is... Jesus presented himself alive to them. They saw him. They were aware of him. I mean, this wasn't, they weren't hearing about him. They physically saw him. And he gave them many convincing or infallible proofs, depending on what translation you had over this period of 40 days, showing them he was legitimately risen from the dead. The reason this is important is because the disciples who went out from here and went out through the rest of the book of Acts, they did not believe Jesus had risen from the dead. They knew Jesus had risen from the dead. That the resurrection of Jesus is not a quote unquote faith event that may not may or may not have any basis in reality. It is a literal event. It is a legitimate event. Jesus literally rose from the grave never to die again. This is a key truth of the Christian faith and something we must always remember. Now, after showing himself alive giving them these many convincing proofs. He tells them to wait. See in verse 4, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. So Jesus had come. He had worked His miracles. He had died on the cross. He had risen again. He was about to ascend into heaven. But there was still a further thing coming to them uh, that the Father had promised. And then He tells them in verse 5 what it is. It is the coming of the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So in just a few days, the Holy Spirit's going to descend and it's going to change the way everything goes. So in verse 6, they, they came together and they began to ask. And we'll just stop there. And if you look at cha- uh, verse 12 of chapter 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the they went up to the stairs. They went up to the upstairs room where they were staying. That is Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James 
And all these were continually devoting themselves with one mind to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So now the, the eleven that are left, they go back to Jerusalem, and they're waiting just like Jesus said, and they began to pray. Now, I don't think they, there's nothing I see in God's word leads me to believe they knew exactly when the Holy Spirit was going to come. Jesus did not give them a specific time. He didn't say on the day of Pentecost, I'm going to change what Pentecost means. He just said, not many days hence, it's going to come soon. And so they, they went back, they got together, and with one mind, they began to pray. And, and given what Jesus had just said, the last thing Jesus had told them, I believe what they're praying for is the promise of the Father to come. They are praying for God to send the Holy Spirit and fulfill this great promise to them. But right now turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together and they were all in one place. Now again, notice that they are all together. Right now, the idea of them being all together here, it, it does carry with it more than the idea of they're all in the same room. They are all in the same room, but they're just as in verse chapter one, they were all of one mind. They're all of one mind here. They are together in one place with one purpose. And it doesn't say specifically that they were praying, but I, I believe that's what they were doing. That is what it appears to be, given the context and what they had done and the emphasis the early church placed on prayer. I believe this is another day where they gathered together with one heart, one mind, and they began to pray. And they were praying for the Holy Spirit to come and be upon them as the Father had promised. Now, something about this I think is important to notice with them being of one mind and being together is the level of unity they had. Right now, the Holy Spirit is a person and he has his own personality and he can't be programmed or, or coerced or tricked or manipulated into doing anything. So there is no secret formula where you pray this way and you do these things and bada bing, bada boom, the Holy Spirit falls. That's not the way it works. But I think it's it's safe to conclude the Holy Spirit will not be poured out in the midst of strife and division. That he is the spirit of unity. We're to endeavor to maintain the spirit of unity. I do not believe the Holy Spirit will be poured out on a divided, disunified people. So there must be unity. So not only together in the same building, but together with one heart and one mind and with one purpose. And they're praying for the same thing, for the Holy Spirit to come. And as this group of people waiting on the Father's promise, as they began to cry out for the Holy Spirit to come, verse 2, suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were, and where they were sitting, and tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with different tongues, as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak out. So they gathered together with one heart, one mind, focused and unified, crying out for God to fulfill his promise to pour the Holy Spirit upon them. As you can see by the sign on the screen, this is what we're here to do tonight. Sunday being Pentecost Sunday, uh, and this is our first, typically our first Wednesday of the month as a prayer gathering. We want to focus our prayers tonight on praying for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
that he would fill our hearts, fill our lives and fill our church. Now, some might ask, why would we pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our day? As disciples of Jesus, we were saved by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. We were regenerated by the, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and were indwelt by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. So why would we pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Well, we we do this for two reasons. The one we'll look at tonight and we'll look at another one Sunday morning during our prayer focus then. But the one tonight is simply this, because Jesus said we should turn to John. Or, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 11. Page 793. Luke 11 and verse 9 is where we'll start. Jesus has been teaching on prayer since verse 1. The disciples saw him praying and they said, teach us to pray. So he begins different teachings about how they should pray to pray what we call the Lord's Prayer, to pray with importunity or with shamelessness. And then he tells them to pray with persistence. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, if you've been here any length of time, you've heard me teach on this. Um, but it's still important to notice. Most English translations do not... Capture the fullness of what is being said in the Greek and ask, seek and knock. It's not just ask once, seek once, knock once. In, in the Greek, it's a continuing tense. And what it means is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Jesus is teaching about, about persistence in prayer. And then in those who persist in prayer, they will receive what they're asking. The Father will answer their prayers. But notice what he goes on to say first in verse 11, which one of you fathers uh, will his son ask for a fish and instead of fish, give him a snake or will he even ask for an egg and his father give him a scorpion? Right. So here's what he's saying. You you ask and keep on asking. God's going to do what's right. He's going to give you what's good, because even even people who are flawed and sinful and evil, if their child asks them for something to eat, their, their father is not going to give them something that would harm them. Right. So God is going to give them what they need. So despite if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father? So if we will give what's right, if we will give what's needed, how much more will our father give what's needed? But notice in Luke's account of this story, of this teaching on prayer, how he concludes it. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So this is not just teaching on this particular part in Luke's account. It's not just teaching about prayer in general. It's teaching about praying for the Holy Spirit, praying for the Holy Spirit to come and be poured out upon us. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us and guide us and do his work in our lives. And we are to to ask and keep on asking. We are to knock and keep on knocking to seek and keep on seeking. And our God, who is good will give us the Holy Spirit. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be led by the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be transformed by the Holy Spirit? If the answer is yes, then we must pray for his filling, his leading, his empowering and his transforming work to be going on in our lives. And we need to be praying it on a regular, if not daily 
basis. So as we pray tonight, we want to be sure we're on the same page. We're one heart and we're one mind. We're not only together in the same building. We are together with the same purpose, seeking the same thing. And what we're seeking is a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our church. We want the Holy Spirit to to fill and lead and work powerfully in our church in such a way no one but God could take credit for what's happened. But we also want to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill, lead and work in us as individuals. We want all that God has for us and all those things come through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So let's take time right now and let's let's just pray that we would be of one heart, of one mind and we would Pray for God to pour out His Spirit upon us. Holy Father, we come tonight and we thank you for your word. It guides us, it shows us what we're to do and how we're to be. It reveals Jesus and the work of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for for the Holy Spirit. Father, who not only comes to live within us, but will lead us in our day-to-day lives. Will help us to walk in ways that are pleasing to your sight. Will empower us to do the things that you would want us to do. And produce his fruit in us. So we would be different. And we would stand out from a a lost and a dying world. We pray tonight for an outpouring of your spirit upon our church. That all your spirit would always have liberty to move in our church. And move in our midst. And do things, Father, that, that cannot be explained by natural means. Father, that he would convict sinners. That he would save the lost. That he would restore the prodigals. That he would sanctify the saints. That he would set captives free. That the Holy Spirit would work and raise the spiritually dead to new life in Christ. Father, then fill us as individuals. Not not only for the church as a whole, but for us as individuals. Let us daily, regularly live spirit-filled lives that are different than the world around us. So much so that people ask us about the hope we have within us. And we can tell them about Jesus. And who he is and what he has done. For he is the one who pours out the spirit upon us. He is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. We we pray. Guide us in this. Jesus name. Amen. Right now as we begin to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need to have an idea of what it would look like for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on our lives and our church. And this is important that we have an idea from, from God's word. About what it would look like for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on us as individuals and upon our church. What it would look like for Him to empower us. Because if you were just Google, you know, Holy Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. Or you would go to YouTube and, and Google something about the Holy Spirit. You might find lots of ideas and lots of pictures about what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or for there to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And not that there's any end to those 
things that you could find and read. The bigger question is, is that what the Bible says? Right? What does God say about what His Spirit does when He is poured out in a church or on a people? Right? And so what I've done is I've produced and I've given to you a handout of different ways the Holy Spirit works in us and through us and for us. Right? The work of the Holy Spirit is is very practical, for lack of a better way to say it. And it is very clearly laid out in God's Word. And so what the, the guide I've given you can be is, is a couple of things. One, it can be a prayer guide. You can pray for the Holy Spirit to do these things in you, in you, through you, and for you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to do these things in and through and for our church. But, but this, this list can also be a checklist. A way to examine our lives. Yes, the Spirit lives within me, but does the Holy Spirit fill me and lead me? Well, I can know that. I can know that by looking at what God's Word says the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. And so we, we look at these things and we see, do I see them in me? Do I see them being produced and worked in me? And if so, then I can say, I am Spirit-filled and spirit led. And if not, then I probably have to say I'm, I'm not spirit filled and spirit led. Now, let me be clear. There is a distinction God's word makes between being filled with the spirit and being indwelt with the spirit. Being indwelt with the spirit is a one time event and that happens at conversion. But being filled with the spirit happens over and over and over again, all throughout the book of Acts, we see multiple instances where the disciples who received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost were again filled with the Spirit. They were led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided them to do something. Being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit is something the Holy Spirit does on a daily, moment by moment basis. That is not once we're filled with the Spirit and we're good forever. Right? We don't have time to look at Ephesians 5 where it tells us to be filled with the Spirit. But again, the Greek language word, uh, wording of that would be more literally translated as be being filled with the Spirit. And so it's a constant be filled and be led by the Spirit. So what does Holy Spirit do in our lives? Well, the Holy Spirit produces spiritual fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, it's easy enough to look at that list and think, sure, I've got that. I've got it done. But it's really important that we understand that what the Holy Spirit produces about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is not a natural sense of it. Anybody, even a lost person, can produce a measure of love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anyone can have those qualities at a given moment. Anyone can have those qualities if things in their life is easy. Anyone can have those if circumstances are just right. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The love the Holy Spirit produces in us is not a love that makes me love my family that loves me back. We don't need the Holy Spirit for that. What the Holy Spirit does is produce a supernatural level of those things in our life. A supernatural level of those things in our life consistently and all of them. Not just one, but all of them. So what would it look like? Well, love isn't supernatural until there are difficult and unlovable people.
to love. But it doesn't take the Holy Spirit to love my wife who loves me or to love my kids who love me. But it might take the Holy Spirit to love some difficult people that I may know out in the world. Some people who don't love me. Right? Because remember, Jesus said, we're not just to love those who love us. Even tax collectors and sinners do that, right? We're to love those who despitefully use us. We're to use those who persecute us, who speak evil of us. We're to love them enough we turn the other cheek even. Well, now, I can't do that on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to do that. So love isn't supernatural until I'm having to love difficult and people I find unlovable. Joy isn't supernatural until circumstances conspire to steal our joy. Most people can have a measure of joy if they're on vacation in the Virgin Islands. That's not too difficult. That would be a natural place to be a joyful person. But in the daily grind of stress at work, difficulties in relationships, financial problems, all the kind of things that just happen in our world, to have joy in the midst of all of that. Now that, That's supernatural. That's what we need the Holy Spirit to produce. Peace. Again, peace isn't supernatural until circumstances make our lives hard. When all is right with our world, anyone can have a measure of peace if everything's going the way we think it ought to. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces a supernatural peace that protects and guards our heart even in the most difficult circumstances of life. Patience. Patience is, in a lot of ways, it's not acting in anger. It is to have a, a long temper. Not to be, to be slow to anger, as James says. If I'm in a, by myself in a room, I can typically be patient. But people, people test that. You probably don't have that problem, but people test it. And there are times where I'm tempted to lash out in anger. To say hateful or hurtful things. To do things that are just not right in my anger. And in those moments, it takes the supernatural Holy Spirit to produce a supernatural patience within me. Kindness isn't supernatural until we want to be unkind. Again, most people can be kind to puppies and kittens. Most people can be kind to children. Most people can be kind to those who we feel sorry for. But that's not a supernatural level of kindness. Supernatural kindness is being kind, being kind to the people we we really do, for whatever reason, want to be unkind to. We want to hurt their feelings. We want to do things to let them know how we feel about them so they will feel bad about themselves. And in that moment... We need the supernatural Holy Spirit to give us a supernatural level of kindness. Goodness isn't supernatural until our sinful nature tempts us not to be good or to do good. Right. So to be good is to be morally good and to do good is to do good for others. That's what the Holy Spirit produces. That's what that word goodness means. And again, we can be morally good while we want to be morally good. Anyone can do that. But when we want to be morally wrong, 
and we choose to be morally good, that's the Holy Spirit producing goodness within us. Or to, there may be times where we don't want to do good for someone. We don't think they deserve it. We, we have all of these reasons why we shouldn't do good for them. It takes the Holy Spirit to lead us to do good for people, whether we think they deserve it or not. Faithfulness isn't supernatural until we want to be unfaithful. I can always keep my word about doing the things I want to do. And I can always keep my word about doing the things I've said I would do if nothing better comes along. But faithfulness isn't just keeping your word because you want to do it. And faithfulness isn't just keeping your word because nothing better came along. Faithfulness is keeping your word even when it hurts, as the psalmist says. And to consistently be that way requires the Holy Spirit to fill us and to lead us. Gentleness isn't supernatural until we want to be harsh. Self-control isn't supernatural until we're required to restrain ourselves in one way or another. Self-control, to me, is one of the bigger ones on there. Simply because self-control is choosing to do what what we're supposed to do even when there's a desire to do something else. You know, there is nothing inherently spiritual or right or godly or brave about always saying everything that runs through our minds. I mean, that's, that's not particularly a gift. That's not an ability. That's not a virtue. That's a vice. That's a sin. Self-control is wanting to say the jerky, hateful thing and choosing instead to keep it within Right. The world, again, the world is has no self-control. The world is all about put everybody on blast. If it's true, you just say whatever you want to say. If it makes you feel good, get it out. Your head might explode if you don't. But what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is something far different than be like the world and how we act. The Holy Spirit produces a supernatural self-control to restrain those sorts of things in our lives. The Holy Spirit enables prayer. Now, in the same way, the, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. If we don't know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Any number of things can come into our lives where we don't know how to pray. We don't know the words to pray. I'm sure as we watch things like what happened last week. In Texas, we don't, I mean, what words do you even say in a moment like that? Or there's times where we don't know God's will. Someone's sick and we want to pray for God to heal him. But is that always God's will? I mean, Hebrews 9 says it's appointed for man to die. So at some point it is going to be God's will for all of us to die. So how how do we pray in, in those sort of moments? Or maybe we don't even know the situation. You know, we've all had people say, I can't tell you about what's going on, but please just pray about this or pray for me about this. Gosh, I, I, don't, I don't know what to pray because I don't know what's going on. So how do we pray for people in these times? Well, we just pray the best we know how. And the Holy Spirit will help us to pray. 
The Holy Spirit is our helper. He helps us in our weakness. And in this case, in Romans 8, our weakness is our, our not knowing how to pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us as we pray. Right? We don't have to worry about having just the right words. What we have to worry about is trying to pray to the best of our abilities in the way we can. And the Holy Spirit, He knows our hearts. And He knows the Father's will. And so what He can do is He can take our imperfect prayers and He, he fixes them. And He lifts them up to the Father in just the way we would have prayed if we knew exactly what we were supposed to say to begin with. And He will bring it to the Father in accordance to the Father's will. Now, I don't have a lot of time for this because we have a lot to go through, but there is an awful lot of comfort we should take in the Holy Spirit helping us pray. Because on our best day, our prayers and our praise are inadequate and failing and just flawed because we're imperfect people. And we want to pray better and we want to have the right words and we want to do it in just the right way. But we don't have to because the Holy Spirit takes our imperfect prayers from our heart that desires God's will. And he prays through us and he fixes the things we may have said wrong and he presents it to the father in accordance to the father's will. That's good news that frees us to pray just boldly all the time. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual strength. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Holy Spirit gives us strength so we can stand against the wiles of the devil. Holy Spirit gives us spiritual strength so we can withstand in the evil day and still be standing when it's all said and done. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual strength to follow the Spirit's leading instead of our sinful nature. Holy Spirit gives us the strength to love when we're tempted to hate, to have joy when we're tempted to be discouraged, to have peace when we're tempted to be anxious, to be patient when we're tempted to be short-tempered, to be kind when we're tempted to be cruel, to be good and do good. We're tempted toward apathy, complacency, or doing wrong. To be faithful when we're tempted to break our word. To be gentle when we're tempted to be harsh. To make the right choice when we're tempted to make the wrong choice. The Holy Spirit can strengthen us to do anything and everything God would have us to do in His Word. Again, this is good news. There's nothing in God's Word that we look at that we cannot do. Not on our own. On our own we cannot do it. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, the strength and power He gives us, we can. Following the Holy Spirit leads us to holiness. But I say walk in the Spirit. You'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. The desire of the flesh is against the Spirit. The Spirit is against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. Uh, we are... At all times, we have these two forces at work within us. The Spirit of God leading us to do the will of God and the flesh leading us to do the will of the world, just to go the opposite way. That struggle is, is always there. And as disciples of Jesus, we can always choose to follow the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is leading, He is pulling us in God's way, and we can always choose to do what God wants us to do. And as we choose to do what God wants us to do, we walk and we live in a practical sort of holiness in our day-to-day lives. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to fulfill the desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to do something contrary to what God's Word has said. The Holy Spirit will always lead us toward holiness. The Holy Spirit reveals truth from God's Word. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. Now, a major part of the work of the Holy Spirit in the apostles' lives was to reveal truth for them to write down. 
He would make sure they understood truth about who Jesus was, what Jesus had done, what his death and resurrection accomplished, and what it meant to live for Jesus in light of a risen Savior. These truths were revealed to them, and they were written down in the books of our New Testament. Now, the canon of God's Word is closed, or we know no books added to God's Word, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's work of revealing truth has come to an end. It just means it is changed in the way He works in us. The Holy Spirit will reveal truth from God's Word as we study it. Right? Being fully aware of everything going on in our lives, the Holy Spirit can take God's Word and speak to us in an individual way. He can do this in our personal reading of God's Word. He can do this through preachers. He can do this through teachers. He can do this through devotions we read. He can do this through anyone who would share God's Word with us. He does this to show us areas of our lives where we need to change or to encourage us or to strengthen us or generally help us in our lives. We've all had times where the Holy Spirit has done this work in our life. We've been reading the Bible, maybe something we've read multiple times. We thought we understood. We see it in a new light. And it's like, wow, a light turns on. We've never seen that before. Or a passage we read, we've read it a hundred times. We never understood it, but suddenly it clicks and it makes sense. That's the Holy Spirit revealing truth from God's Word for us. We, we constantly need the Holy Spirit to be to us, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, the spirit of wisdom and revelation the knowledge of God. We, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal truth from God's Word. The Holy Spirit gives and renews hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. So you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives and renews hope through His work in our life. Every time He reveals something new to us from God's Word, we're reminded. The Holy Spirit is a promise and a down payment of the great things to come. This gives us hope. Every time the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, we're reminded we're not all we should be, but we're also reminded God isn't through with us and someday He will complete the good work He began in us. And this gives us hope. Anytime the Holy Spirit does anything in our lives, it reminds us the greatness of God's promises to us and this gives us hope. Our, built, our hope is built on who God is and what God has said and what God has said is that hope will abound in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit works to, to give and renew hope in our life. The Holy Spirit gives certainty of salvation. If you've not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. We are children of God. One of the most common things we wrestle with in life is whether or not we are genuinely saved. We are saved by faith, uh, faith alone, Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we are saved when we cry out to Jesus to save us. But we're changed on the inside. But there's no letter that falls from heaven giving us a seal of certificate signed by Jesus. There's no stamp of S on our heart showing that we've been saved. And so we struggle with our sin. We fail at times and we wonder how can I know whether or not I'm saved. And we go to people who, to their Credit, they try to help us, but often they tell us, yes, of course we're saved, but that's not necessarily the truth. They're just trying to be helpful, and that's not necessarily accurate. The best thing to do if we wrestle with that is we go to God and we pray, God, help me to see if I'm saved or if I'm not. Show me, Lord. And as we cry out to the Lord for certainty of our salvation, the Holy Spirit does something in our hearts. He does something in our lives that, that I can't quantify and tell you it's this when it happens. All I can say is you just know. You just know and the Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are a, a child of God. But this is part of what he does is give us certainty, the fact we've been born again. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, but we all with an unveiled face looking as a, 
as in a mirror of the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So, as we look at the Lord, as we look at the Lord Jesus, we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And this is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who shows us the areas of our life that need to be refined or cleaned or fixed. Shows the things we need to add or take away. But he is always working in our lives, trying to sanctify us and make us more and more like Jesus. Holy Spirit empowers soul winning. Uh, in Acts 1, the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. Uh, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is empower us to testify about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then the Holy Spirit shows us opportunities to minister to others. Talking about Philip, he says he got ready and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, sitting in his chariot, and was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said to Philip, go up, join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, you understand what you're reading. Now in this case, the Holy Spirit made Philip aware an opportunity to share the gospel. But it's not always the Holy Spirit making us aware of opportunities to share the gospel. Because that's not the only way the Holy Spirit can lead us to minister. The Holy Spirit might lead us to, to send someone a prayer. Say, hey, I've been praying for you today. Read something in the Bible and something encouraging. And somebody comes to our mind. Maybe somebody we know is going through a struggle. Holy Spirit tells us, leads us to send that to them. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants us to go and help someone that's struggling in one way or another. But the Holy Spirit will make us aware of opportunities to minister in the name of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, for the glory of our Father. He is, he's always kind of leading us to try to be others-focused and live in this way if we are sensitive. Now, can you see where, where these are needed in your life? Can you see where these are needed in our church? I mean, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our church and we need this in our lives. And, and since we need this, what we have to do is be careful not to quench the Spirit. I mean, this is a, a literal command from God's Word. Do not quench the Spirit. From what I can tell in God's Word and from what I've experienced in my own life, the Holy Spirit rarely, if ever, Forces us to do anything. Right? He may impress upon us to do certain things. He may guide us to do something. He may bring something to our mind. He may convict us. He may show us something out of the word. But, but in all of these things, he never forces us. He may lay somebody on our heart to pray for, but he's not going to grab us and force us to our knees to pray. He may speak to us from the word and reveal truth to it, but he is not going to grab us. Make us sit down, open up our Bibles for us, and make us read it. Instead, so what the Holy Spirit does is he, he does impressions, He leads, He lays things on our heart. And once He has revealed to us, or He has dealt with us, we then make a choice about whether we will follow the Spirit or we will quench the Spirit. And, and, and truly... Those are the only two choices we have in that moment. To follow the Spirit and do what He wants to do, or to work, let Him work in what way He wants to work in us, through us, and for us, or to quench His work in our lives. 
And we are specifically commanded not to quench the Spirit. We want to be very careful not to quench the Spirit and His leadership in our lives. Let's take a few minutes. Let's pray. Pick one or two of these that that you're really eager to see happen in your life for our church and begin to pray for them. Father, we love you today. We, we cry out for more of the Spirit's work in our lives. Father, in a world where sin abounds, in a world where sin is celebrated, and people are proud of their sin, holiness, holiness stands out. So, Father, let your word and your spirit work together to sanctify us. Make us as holy as saved sinners could possibly be. Your word, you've told us, be holy, for I am holy. Let the light of Christ shine from our holy lives to a dark and a dying world. That they could see something not not judgmental. Not hateful, not legalistic, but just legitimately different because of you. Father, in a day where there are many challenges to your word, let your spirit constantly reveal truth to us. Let him stir our affections for your word. Let him speak to us through it, reveal things, Lord, truths we, we've not really realized to see things that need to change, things we need to do. Let Him always be working this within us. And Lord, I I long for the fruit of the Spirit to be consistently evident in my life. Let these things be seen in us. Let Let His work always be going on in our lives and in our church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what I want to do with this last part is just, I know as I think, maybe I'm wrong, we have all seen the excesses of the fringe groups, the the, the crazies, what I call the crazies. And if we're not careful... We let the excesses of the fringe groups cause us to quench the spirit of things he legitimately does in our life. We, we see them. We see their craziness. And, and we say, I don't want any part of that. And then we pull so far back that we quench any of the spirit's work 
in us or through us or for us. And any talk of the Holy Spirit, praying for the Holy Spirit to work, or here's the things that He does, are in the back of our minds is a fear that seeking the Spirit or seeking more of the Spirit is going to lead us to become like them because they blame the Holy Spirit on all the crazy things that they do. But as disciples of Jesus, we need never fear the Holy Spirit or anything He wants to do in us, through us, or for us because the Holy Spirit will never lead us outside the bounds of God's Word. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead us to do crazy things. He's not going to lead us to bark like dogs, hiss like snakes, or do other ridiculous things we may see on YouTube. Instead, the Holy Spirit is going to do the sort of things we've talked about. The practical things we would all say we desperately need in our lives. When we ignore the Holy Spirit because of the crazies, we are letting them keep us. From something that is legitimately meant to be ours in Christ. Everything we talked about, everything on that list and more. I wouldn't have time in one service to cover all that the Holy Spirit does. All of those things are meant to be ours. This is the promise of the Father. I mean, this is what the Father promised. This is the seal of the new covenant. The new covenant was bought with the blood of Jesus. It was proven with the resurrection of Jesus. And it is sealed with the Spirit of the living God. So everything in God's Word, it says the Holy Spirit does, is meant to be ours. And we mustn't let the fringe groups keep us From what God wants us to have. From the the promise and the gift of the Father. Jesus and Paul both teach. We can and we should know the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Who fills us. And who leads us in our lives. Look, Look at what Jesus said. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But notice, but you you know him. Because he remains with you and will be in you. Know him. Now, it's the same wording that what we've looked at on Sunday mornings in Second Peter. Uh, about we, we know God and we know Jesus. It's the same concept. We can know the Holy Spirit and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit like we have with Jesus. Like we have the Father. The Apostle Paul said in a, one of the blessings he gave The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now the implication of fellowship with the Spirit is we can have the same sort of fellowship, relationship with the Holy Spirit we can and we should have with Jesus and with our Father. This is what's meant to be ours because of what Christ has done. God's Word does not warn us to fear the Holy Spirit. God's Word encourages us to seek Jesus for the Holy Spirit. God's Word encourages us to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to surrender to the work of the Spirit in our lives. 
So let's seek to know the Holy Spirit as we know Jesus. Let's choose to be a people who seek to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and Spirit-empowered every day of our lives and in every area of our lives. Let's rejoice in all God has given us by giving us His Holy Spirit. Let's press in and seek God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit and all that God wants to bring into our lives through Him. And let's pray for mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our church and in our lives. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.